going on, everybody? Welcome to the Life and Limb podcast. My name is Chuck Anderson. This is episode 12 of the show. Thank you very much for checking it out. I appreciate having you here. Music at the beginning of the show, as always, is Fugazi. The song is called Life and Limb. It's used with permission, so thank you very much to Fugazi, Ian Mackay, Discord Records for the permission to use that song. Uh, if you haven't heard that entire song, you should definitely go check it out. I'd really encourage you to go check out uh, all of that track, uh, Life and Limb. And don't just stop there. Listen to the entire album that it's from, The Argument. Uh, it's one of my favorite albums ever. And then uh, once you make it through there, you can just go back to all the other Fugazi albums. Um, really just, again, if you're not familiar, you should definitely familiarize yourself because they're incredible. So just felt like saying that. Um, and if you are, of course, you know already how good they are. So, uh, anyways, first off, I want to congratulate someone here, uh, two people actually, Ryan and Tina Smaker, who were the, uh, last interview that I did episode 11, um, in the middle of, at the time when we talked, they were in the middle of trying to raise a hundred thousand dollars for their new endeavor, which was to take their project, thegreatdiscontent.com, uh, from the web to print and make sort of a, you know, a print edition, print magazine uh, out of the interviews that they do on The Great Discontent. And to raise $100,000 is a really lofty goal for anybody in any type of project, let alone a print project. Um, I, you know, who, I don't know what they thought. I don't know if people thought that they would hit their goal, but I'm very excited to say that just last week they did hit their goal. They raised $105,000. So, um, the Great Discontent print uh, edition is going to be happening. I'm very excited to be able to report um, after the last episode I did with them that they did get successfully funded. So it's super exciting and just very, very happy for them. So congrats, guys. Way to go. Uh, so anyways, today for this episode, uh, episode 12, I am joined by Nigel Dennis. And Nigel is one of my oldest friends. We've been friends for like 13, 14 years or so. Nigel is kind of a jack of all trades, uh, creatively musician, artist, designer, and uh, he does lots of different types of work. Um, and he's toured all over the world with his band, uh, Alul, and his band before that, The Evaluation. And uh, just he's been doing some really amazing artwork for clients, big and small, from corporate stuff and agency work to musicians and everything in between over the years. And I uh, just really enjoyed talking with him as him and I have been really close uh, over the years and had a chance to share some fun, sort of funny client stories and some stuff that him and I went through together uh, early on in our careers. And I uh, just really enjoy talking with him and uh, all the way up to some of the newest stuff he's been working on specifically, uh, which has been some stuff he's been doing for True Detective, uh, a personal project he's been doing for True Detective. And so uh, we'll get into that a little bit more. I just want to say, uh, if you don't want to know anything about uh, True Detective and you haven't seen it yet, uh, I mentioned that there's going to be spoilers. There don't end up really being any severe spoilers, but if you really want to play it safe and turn it off at that point, cause you are going to watch the show, just a fair warning, but there will be a mention of it when it's about to come. So you won't just be like knocked over the head with true detective talk if you've not seen the show yet, but it's an amazing show. Nigel did an amazing job on the project, um, which we'll get into in this interview. And, uh, yeah, I think that's about it. So I uh, hope you enjoy this one. It was a lot of fun. Lifeandlimb.com. Uh, at life and limb is the Twitter that you can follow to find out news and updates and everything that's going to be coming up for the show. So anyways, without further ado, my conversation with Nigel Dennis, please enjoy. Hey, Nigel. Hey, Chuck. What's going on? 
Nothing. No. Just, just drinking Lone Star. <laughs> drinking Lone Star. And, uh, no, nothing nothing snooty. Nothing snooty. Well, I was just enjoying myself a dogfish head piercing pills pear beer. Mm. Uh, so you need to get on my level and uh, get out of <laughs> Texas, bro. <laughs> oh, what man. are you eating there? Nigel just got some... Uh, Nigel just got some. I'm actually gonna be. I'm actually gonna be polite and wait. Uh, but it's Thai food. Oh, so. oh, dude, you should you should eat it while we do this. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'll ask you a really long question. I'll take ten minutes to ask it. Then you can. <laughs> so uh, I was just saying before, Nigel and I have known each other for a, quite a long time. Uh, Nigel, do you remember the first time we met? How like when it was or, um, church right. It was at church. I don't remember like the specific details. I think, I think I was like seventeen. Yeah, probably or eighteen, something like that. Um, Wait, how old are you now? Thirty-one. Okay, so I'm twenty-eight. So three. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, if you were like eighteen, I would have been like fifteen. And yeah. uh, so Nigel's been, you know, one of those people in my life. We've been friends for a really long time, and we kind of have a similar, um, you know. Uh, storyline i suppose um uh, very different things that we kind of have both done um over the years but you know both started designing and stuff and when was the when did you first start like um kind of taking what you're doing now you know on a professional level and doing electric heat and everything more seriously do you remember like what year that was exactly um i actually do because i was <laughs> I was looking through old invoices. The first invoice I sent was in 2004. Okay. Yeah, that sounds about right. Cause we like- so, and I think you got started like a year, year or two before me. No, it wasn't even, it was definitely not even a full year before. I was still okay. in high school, but it was about that. It was about that time. It was like mm. a little earlier, late 2003, early 2004. Or so, yeah. But I um, think it was around, the, I think it was around the time I got fired from Menards. <laughs> <laughs> My job before doing the, what I do now, what, the last one I had, I was at uh, Threadless, and I was packing T-shirts over there, which is a cool place to work, but not exactly any sort of glamorous job. What were you doing at Menards? Cashier, man. Oh, that's right. You weren't you, you weren't a cart guy. <laughs> uh, sometimes, whenever like the cart guy was too hungover, I would have to cover. <laughs> um, it was usually on days that the weather was just so bad, um, so it was never fun. I think it was just a cop out. Yeah. How long have you been playing music? Because I know we're going to talk a lot about your music. It's so weird to, you know, when I interviewed Ben or like when I was, you know, telling you earlier, I interviewed, you know, Ben or David or people who are like close friends, kind of like recapping all these things I already know, but it's sort of yeah. like put to put a timeline to it and step back really kind of puts it in perspective and like, you know, knowing, knowing you and for how long I've known you now, it's, it's crazy how long you've been kind of doing everything you've been doing and to see stuff, you know, sort of stepping back you know as we're a bit older now because from the first time i met you you know way back when was you know however long ago 13 years ago or whatever and you were Mm -hmm. playing music then in bands and you'd been in bands even before that so uh, besides visual art um how like how how did music become such a big part of your life when you were a kid and then what were some of your early band like stories i guess um well um it it kind of started. Uh, there, there, it's a funny story. I, I was listening to uh, the new Sun Kill Moon record, which I know you love too. Um, and there's a story that that song uh, "I Love My Dad," mm-hmm. um, and he's talking about uh, 
I think it's in that song where he's talking about how his dad bought him his first guitar. Um, I, I could be wrong. It may be another song. Uh, but he talks about his dad buying him his first guitar, and um, he talks about his dad's best friend, Billy, mm-hmm. uh, which and which actually happened to be my dad's best friend's name. And then, uh, you know, Billy the story- Brislin. Yeah, that's yeah. He talks about he talks about that. And then he says, uh, you know, he got guitar lessons from the neighbor and that didn't really work out too well. That's like my exact same story. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I when I was um, 13, I think actually I think I was 12 still. Um, my parents bought me my first guitar. It's a 1978 Fender Telecaster, which is quite an amazing first guitar to have. Yeah, well, you would even have uh, what uh, what uh, he taught this uh, in the Sun Kill Moon song. Uh, the line is, "When I was a kid, my dad brought me home a guitar he got from Sears." Yeah, I didn't definitely didn't have a Sears, but you know those are those guitars are actually really awesome now. <laughs> all those all those Sears guitars, everybody wants. Yeah, um, but no, I I, uh, I I got my guitar and I started taking lessons from my neighbor. Um, my next door neighbor and, you know, he's a really good guitar player. Um, it took lessons for about a year. Um, and of course, you know, week one of having a guitar, I started a band, which is just so ridiculous. Um, <laughs> how, how old are you here at this point? Uh, thir- 13. Okay. I think. Okay. Um, I think it was 13. Uh, and I started a band with, uh, my best friend, Todd Miller, who, you know, yep. um, and, uh, my other friend, Brian Miller there, they weren't related at all. Um, we all grew up in church together and, you know, we kind of, we all really liked MXPX and, you know, <laughs> everything like to the nail, man, everything, everything, to, everything yeah. to the nail. And we, we, we basically were like, okay, you play guitar, you play drums, you play bass. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, that's, that's kind of how we started the first band. Um, I think our first show was playing in my friends, my friend, Greg, uh, that I went to school with. He used to be big into skating and stuff. And he had a, a half pipe in his garage. <laughs> and I think that was our first show. And we played Blink-182, damn it, like seven times. How long did it take you um, to get that uh, opening guitar riff down? <laughs> what a great song. <laughs> it is so simple and so great. Um, now, it, you know, it, there, it's there's a weird mechanic to the way he plays that riff. It's a simple riff, but like the way you play it, that's what makes it. Did you um, censor out the, uh, the infamous line where, where he swears? Where does he? Sw- oh, Where he yeah. said, "Did you hear?" Mm-hmm. And did you say he? And then move your head away, her. I think I did, or I just I pulled like a David Bazan and just like kind of went, mm-hmm. <laughs> like not not really sure. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's how it started. I mean, you know, I, I, music has kind of always been in my 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 household. And, you know, my dad's played drums for uh, forty years. Wow. Um, and you know, my dad and your dad have played together. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, music has always been kind of my first love and it's always been something that um, I return to, you know, I, I feel like now I'm, I'm busier than I've ever been in my life. And uh, somehow I still uh, figure out a way to, you know, put, throw some music in every once in a while, whether it's my own or if I'm recording somebody, um, you know, I've been really delving into production and stuff. Um, which is a lot of fun. It's like a totally new thing. You know, it's it's a crazy experience when someone says, okay, I wrote this song, uh, you know, I got it all flushed out. What do you think? And then they just let you dissect it. And mm-hmm. and really, you know, you, you're able to put your your signature on it a little bit. Sure, um, yeah. Which is fun. It's a new experience I've never had before. Mm-hmm. 
So yeah, and you know, I think music for for me personally, you know, I I'm not a musician. I was in a band too in high school, and I just sang, and that's kind of what if you don't play any instruments, you just sort of default to doing. And I had a lot of fun doing it. But you kind of you know sang and play guitar and have played bass and everything, and on top of that. Um, you also were always the, you know, artist, you know, for every band you've been in. Um, do you feel like those, like your early band days were sort of your first, uh, I hate to say clients because I don't like to look back and think about being 14 years old and think of it as a client because that's sort of like, you know, I don't know. It sort of ruins the romance of just being a kid making fun flyers and stuff. But in a way, I I mean, I used to make, I used to make fake album covers. I mean, like, you know, you'd have... You'd have your favorite band and like you'd see their album cover and be like, oh, I love this album so much. I'm going to make my own album cover, Mm -hmm. which sounds ridiculous. But like looking back at it, you know, I think it really kind of formed um, it formed an early opinion on on art, uh, you know, uh, cover art. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because most cover art is pretty bad. And um, I think that I think that that started when the LP went away uh, for the first time. Yeah. um, The form factor became so small in CDs and it was... Right. And I think the resurgence of of vinyl, I think people care about about album artwork again, which is... Like I was talking to Jeffrey um, via Instagram the other day. Jeffrey Kalmakoff? Yeah. What's up, Jeffrey Kalmakoff? (laughs) What's up, Jeffrey Kalmakoff? Um, But no, we were talking about... uh, He posted something about... Uh, you know, music being the reason why he loves art or design or something like that. And it was a picture of uh, Converge Jane Doe. Yep. And, you know, I remember I, and you were, we were talking, uh, um, we were talking about, uh, you know, how, how that the CD booklet still smells like the printer, you know, like it's still got that weird, uh, you know, like old textbook smell. Um, and, you know, I think that that, that, that was one of the first moments that like I kind of, uh, had a deeper, deeper appreciation, um, for album artwork in music was, was, you know, what, what Jacob Bannon was doing. Yep. Absolutely. With Converge and, you know, he just, he keeps doing it perpetually and I don't yeah. even know how, um, the it's guy, crazy. I mean, that album was guy put out 2001. The guy hasn't put out any bad artwork. <laughs> it's, yeah. just, it's amazing. Like every single album cover he touches, you know, it's his mm. and it is stunning. Every yeah. single one. And even if it uses similar visuals, it's always it's always fresh in some way. And I saw, I re- one, the other, I saw one the other day. It's got like a skull with like a like a bunch of tiny little holes where the yes. eyes are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man, yeah. I like can't get that out of my head. And then <laughs> it's a print, the, I think. I don't think it's even album artwork. I think it's just oh, like really? a personal artwork thing. Yeah. Well, I, and then I, the the new like Converge uh, BBC live studio album cover. It's like a a girl on the cover and it's like pinks and greens and like, it's like, it's, I, I'm assuming it's painted. Um, but it's got, you know, like this gold foil, um, over it and it's just, it's beautiful. Is, like, that, is that the one where he just really let loose on the colors? Like probably for the yeah, first it's time. Like, it's super vibrant. Like, yeah. Super bright. yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think music, music and, and design and art, um, go hand in hand pretty seamlessly. Um, and I think that there's, you know, a ton to be, um, learned, you know, the music for me kind of, uh, like I can hear something and I'm, I'm not going to be like rust coal and say, I have, you know, synesthesia, but, uh, you know, like it, it, it like conjures up these, these feelings and these ideas. Like if I'm listening to a certain album, 
it'll it'll change what the visual looks like that I'm working on. Totally. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that 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 is kind of rare. Like not a lot of people think in those terms. Yep. Um, and and it's it's kind of cool. It's it's if you got it, like definitely hone it. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um. So those early albums that were kind of influential to you, um, let's start musically and then we'll talk visually album covers because I want to get yeah. back on like the Jane Doe tip and like how, inf- you know, how huge that album cover was. What was crazy is, by the way, that album came out literally one week before September 11th, which is kind of like horrifying if you think about just how how sort of like apocalyptic and just sort of intense that album was. And then for a week later, 9-11, like just crazy to think about yeah. that <laughs> yeah it's yeah it, it, you know there was a another um i remember the morning of september 11th i got a, a cd in the mail um and i ordered it from norway it was the new self-minded split ep mm. and it was like super sludgy and super heavy and it's like different than what they were doing and super like you know apocalyptic and dark and very like scandinavian and i remember listening to it like watching the towers fall and i whenever i hear there was only three songs on the, on the album by them. And it just like, it, it's horrifying to yeah. listen, Ugh. <laughs> you know, it's, because it's got, it's a, it's got a visual reminder. Yeah, um, dude. Oh man. Yeah. It's crazy. It's, it's crazy. Like how, how things attach themselves. It, it really is. I mean, I like, honestly, I, I find the, uh, the concept of, of music and sound, you know, to be just as powerful as, I don't know. They say smell is like the most, you know, intense. And I think that is true because you've actually been in a place that smells a certain way. And if you, you know, have a certain thing, you're like, Oh wow, that smells like, you know, my childhood home or whatever, but sound is certainly, or songs or whatever. It's just, it's bizarre. Like how it brings you so far back so specifically into a certain day, you know, like I I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah. yeah, It's, it's crazy. Like smells uh, like, you know, I don't know if this is like a, a proven, you know, connection or anything, but you know, a sound conjures up a visual thing for me, you know, and it, it, it makes me think of something I've seen or reminds me of something I've seen Sure, yeah. as to where, like, if I smell a pizza, I'm like, I'm not like, Ooh, I want to go home and make some art. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of like a different relationship, you know, yeah, the, yeah. I, I believe that that smell reminds you of things a, a lot quicker than seeing things or, mm-hmm. You know, but it, it it lends itself to a lot less than I think seeing something or yeah, hearing totally. something. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, okay. So, just on as far as the music goes, I think it's... I, I love to, like, talk about the early influences or just the early loves musically that uh, you can just kind of say sort of shamelessly, like, here's what I was into when I was a teenager and what, like, impacted me a lot. So, I know one of the things that you and I really... I mean, I, I remember, I mean, when, when we met, this was probably around like 2000, 2001 or whatever. And I had just discovered Napster and I was sort of like transitioning from, you know, all nineties alternative rock into discovering sort of more punk rock stuff and then more hardcore stuff. And, and Napster for me was sort of that like in to finding all this new stuff. And I feel like it was like really my first taste of getting to find out about things that were out there that like I really, at the time, you know, with the internet being so primitive back then, it was just sort of like, there wasn't an easy way to just go find this stuff out, especially when you're younger, you know? And so what were sort of like the, did this, did someone introduce you to 
punk rock and to hardcore to even metal and everything um, because I had started getting into stuff. And I remember really talking to you is sort of opened up for me a lot of new stuff or just having another person to chat with about it in real life um, mm-hmm. was a pretty cool thing. I remember mentioning like when the Rising Tide album came out, the Sunny Day Real Estate album came out. Oh, man. Talking to you about that. And I remember you being like, how do you know about them? Because I was pretty young and I felt so cool that I was talking to somebody else who knew it and thought it was cool that I knew it. And so for me, there was like this sort of like kindred spirits of, of like discovering music that was not easily accessible at the time, which well, I feel yeah. like it really wasn't at the time unless you dug, you know, a little bit for it. So, well, you know, Sunny Day Real Estate was around for a while before that record. Right. Um, I <laughs> I remember the first time I ever heard them was on the Batman Forever soundtrack. <laughs> and like, it was such a bizarre thing. I was like, why the hell is this? Why is this band on this soundtrack? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Jeremy Enoch's voice was so strange and so different. And, you know, you spent most of your time wondering if it was a woman, you know, and like, he just had such a unique voice. And I don't mean a woman in like a Getty Lee sense. I mean, like, it was like a like a, you know, a, a Patty Smith kind of like raspy, like craziness to his voice. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, so yeah, when we were talking about Sunny Day Real Estate, I remember that. And like, you, you know, it, it was sub pop, sub pop records wasn't what it is now. And, you know, they were, they were huge. I mean, the, you know, they're responsible for Nirvana um, and, you know, just about everyone big in nineties independent culture. Um but you know the the like you said it was all about accessibility right and, and you know Napster you know I I feel a lot of people probably don't even know what it is now and oh no yeah you know and that wasn't that long ago I remember having to search for uh, Radiohead Hail to the Thief I think it was I, I or maybe it was uh, Kid A one of those um, but I, I remember I did a search for uh, I had to do a search for Rodeohead because <laughs> they they started like. They started like hiding stuff, um, you know, and like the the Deftones White Pony. Oh man, like the same thing. Like it was like debt phones. Like they just like <laughs> switched letters to throw people off, and you know, copyright stuff. And dude, White Pony was one of those albums where like I remember. Oh, you I, were you were obsessed with it. I man. was, and when that album came out, I mean, I went and I bought the deluxe edition with like the the opaque red plastic case and like it had this bigger fold out inside and like oh my god i just i mean remember like hearing that album was like nothing i'd ever heard before that was a huge one for me especially into like heavier or just like a little more um you know i don't know there was something about that album that like really did it for me at the time but it was um, pretty pretty visceral yeah it still is man it's still a great great album but um so yeah i mean what were like uh some of those early record covers too like what for for you when you were a kid or or like uh the ones that really stuck with you like jane doe is back in 2001 but do you you have any other favorites prior to that that like we were always like oh man there's there's um there's a couple that stick out um uh, Steely Dan Asia. There was a, uh, you know, that was like my 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 parents' go to album for family vacations. Just uh, a really simple black cover. Yeah, and it's like a hanging like flag looking thing. It's like a red, white, and blue kind uh-huh. of, or maybe there's no blue in there. I I don't know, but um, that was always really striking to me. Um, and it had uh, you know, it had a mystery to it. And that album is like really mysterious to me. It's a, it's I watched the making of it. Um quite a few years back with my dad and it's just it's amazing how they 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 brought the right musicians together to make that album and you know there's a real weird mystery to that band i they they 
they didn't tour um, at all through like the 90s. Um, I don't think they did a single tour. Mm. I, I, it may be even longer than that. Um, but that that was one of the albums that really stuck out to me, the, the cover. Um, Tears for Fears, Songs from the Big Chair. Um, just that that picture of the two guys in the cover. Um, there was something like it, it wasn't cheesy. Um, you know, usually when there's like a, a tight, you know, crop shot of, of people's faces on an album cover, it can be cheesy. But there was something very, uh, very um, engaging and kind of, uh, I don't know, it was like hypnotizing a little bit. I think it's um, the hair. It's the, it's the hair and the weird the, cross earrings. And the cable knit sweaters. Yeah, um, <laughs> but there's something about that album cover that the photo is just beautiful. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that that's always been kind of striking. Um, and then uh, Storm Thorgerson's work with um, uh, Genesis Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. Um, you know, that that album cover is just amazing because it was, there, there was no computers. And it... it it is some of the coolest Photoshop work I've ever seen. And, you know, there's no Photoshop used at all. It's all film. And it was just, you know, all of Storm Thorgerson's work. Um, I mean, you know, he's he's done just about every Pink Floyd album cover. Mm-hmm. Um, he did. He actually did. Um, uh, I think everything from Mars Volta up to Francis the Mute. Mm. Um, and, you know, he, he died, uh, I think, Two years ago, maybe last year. Yeah, it was recent. Yeah, um, and he did. Uh, he did a couple of album covers for Peter Gabriel. He did. I think he did his first three, um, which were just great concepts. They they um, there was one. It was for Peter Gabriel's third album. His first four albums were all self titled, but um, he had like code names for them. And this one was called Melt. In the album cover, the process they actually took Polaroids of Peter's face and scratched the the solution inside the 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 photo mm-hmm. um so it looks like his face is melting huh. they actually did it by hand every they did like like 50 or 60 different shots and they just they they went in and manipulated the actual film while it was developing mm. um so yeah i mean his work has always been you know i'm a i'm a big believer in you know not putting any text on an album cover <laughs> Um, you know, sometimes, sometimes it is, is necessary and sometimes it's part of the aesthetic, but there's something so cool about just getting an album and the cover is just art. Yeah. There's no, there's no text, uh, which is something that a lull has always done. Um, you know, we, I don't think we've ever put our name on any of our covers. Um, and you know, I, I, just because I've been such a, a big, um, advocate for that, um, and, that that's something that Storm did with his work is you know most of it um, was just just straight up art. Yeah. Um, and you had I mean look at Pink Floyd's album covers they never said Pink Floyd on them. Yeah, it's so um, ballsy to do because it's sort of like you're gonna remember this iconically instead of you know um, textually sort of like you're gonna remember the the look of this cover and it will say the band name and the album name without having to put it on there. Yeah, well, and the funny thing about it is like when <clears throat> when the evaluation, my my old band, when we were first coming out with our, our record, you know, we, we didn't put our name on that cover either. Mm. Um, and I remember the guy who was running the label was like really concerned about that because CD sales mattered, you know. Is that the one um, with the gun on the cover? Yeah. Yeah. In, in 2003, CD sales mattered. So if you didn't have your name on the cover, it was kind of like shooting yourself in the foot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and now things are a little different because mostly everything's on the internet and you have uh, a link or some sort of copy on the website that you're viewing with the name of the song and, and band. And 
but then it was like it was an important thing, you know, like you have to have your 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 name of your album on your cover. And now yeah, everyone's yeah. using stickers and stuff like that, mm. which is what we've done. Um, but th- yeah, that those are some of the, the the album covers that really stick out for me. Um, cool. Yeah, I remember when uh, I first started getting to know you a little bit more and sort of familiarizing myself with the graphic design work you were doing. Um, so around the time when you know when I was in high school and starting to get way more into design because I was having a chance to use my school's computers to like you know get on the internet and discover stuff. Um, you know, and a lot of the stuff you and I would sort of bond over and talk about, you know, were album covers and some of the stuff you were doing for your first, well, I don't know if your very first band, but the band, the the band that, you know, I was most familiar with when we first met, um, you did a lot of stuff that did have text on the cover, but it was like really tiny text, almost that became visual. Like it was almost like meant to be that small. I remember a couple shirts that you guys did for the evaluation as well, where the text got, it was just really tiny and it was almost just like there was a, uh, an aesthetic value to that instead of it being like, you know, the band name and, you know, a, and a pitch, you know, about the band or something like that. And I always found that graphically to be really interesting as well. You know what you I'm know, talking about, right? Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's weird. Like there was like a, uh, <clears throat> you know, <laughs> it's going to sound ridiculous, but like Juliana theory, like emotion is dead. Dude, I mimicked that, that album for like every graphic design thing I did when I first got Photoshop. <laughs> Well, like they they did a lot of that, you know. They they had the um, what were the, what were the Clark brothers calling themselves then? Um, Asterix Studio. Asterix, yep. Um, they were doing a lot of stuff like that. Yeah, um, you know, like the small like nonsense bitty kind of like like nonsense data. Yeah, like yeah. that's that's really what it was. And it, yeah, I mean, it definitely was sort of an aesthetic it wasn't functional at all yeah. no you know? no it was a purely it was like uh it was like graphic design shapes and things from sort of a more traditional graphic design put in there to be like eye candy without yeah. any sort of re- it was like it just basically was using those shapes and elements and grids and text and all this stuff almost to just become noise and like part of the art and I don't know, that didn't really have a lot of a last, you know, like a lasting effect, but it definitely did inspire like a sort of very niche generation of artists and designers. I think people in early 2000s, like, you know, you and I, because, you know, even when I was in my band in high school, I remember that album coming out. And for anybody who isn't familiar with the Juliana Theory, Emotion is Dead <laughs> album, go just Google it. Juliana Theory album is called Emotion is Dead. And the cover is just like this random girl in a black tank top with blonde hair. She looks like the super cool font. Yeah. And like this inverted <coughs> factory thing behind it and this font and then just like a gold stripe and a red stripe. Oh, yeah, I'm sure the factory is upside down, right? It's inverted. Maybe it's upside down. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But either way, it's just sort of like these just random elements that have nothing to do with the title. And it was very sort of... Um, you know, it was very indicative of the music at that time and sort of that emo rock early 2000s sort of like, you know. Well, that's weird. I feel like a lot of a lot of like the power emo stuff that was coming out in the early 2000s uh, kind of all had that aesthetic. They were kind of all like gravitating towards these like really big streaks across the, the front of the cover and like really tiny type that didn't say anything, you uh-huh. know? Yeah. Like, like even like bands like fear before the March of flames and stuff, they would oh do it. Oh my gosh. 
I haven't <laughs> thought about them in a very long time. I had I had a shirt of theirs, I think, if I'm not mistaken. They had like that cover with like the city falling into the ocean and like Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh weird. Okay. We'll have another <laughs> an entire show about just old music sometime, which I I am planning on doing like a round table with like three or four people to talk about that stuff. But I do want to to move on to some other things as well. So um Okay, so the music stuff for you, I mean, I know firsthand that that was like your first love, but art's always been a huge part of your life too. Um, so what were, as a, you know, um, do you have other artists in your families? I mean, I know you're, you're I, I won't speak for this, I'll let you answer this, but I do know, you're, you know your mom is, I don't want to say crafty and stuff, but she is into, you know, stuff and, and your dad being a musician. So there's a sense of, of artistry there, um, but visual art, like what was your... You know, what was the kickoff for you as a kid um, with that? Did you just love to draw? Like, what was that? What was the spur of, of that for you? Yeah, I, I think it was um, me just loving to draw. You know, I, I used to go over to my grandma's house um, in Hammond, Indiana when uh, when I was a kid. And she had <clears> – <throat> she worked at uh, this, this hospital and she had these just boxes of paper. There was the – like the um, – I think it was used for accounting. It had like big green and white bars going across it. Um, and it was for like, you know, dot matrix printers. <clears throat> so it had like the, the, the spool dots on the side and everything and tear off. And, uh, so she just had this box of paper and I would, I would just spend hours drawing. Um, and you know, I, I would, I would, I would make lists of things. Um, like I would make lists of my favorite baseball players and football players, just like in a <laughs> row. Uh, which is kind of strange looking back. Um, I used to draw cars a lot, um, you know, cause my dad, you know, I grew up, my dad worked at Ford in Chicago. And, mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I always felt like automobiles were always like a big part of my life, kind of always around me. Um, but no, you know, it just, I, I, I've never really thought it was a great, I never thought it was a, 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 like great at drawing. Um, I could, I could do a certain style but I never really felt like I was great at like sketching a face mm-hmm. or, you know, like doing anything serious like that. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I just, I just started drawing at an early age, but you know, my, my family, um, you know, my mom, you know, used to make wreaths and like different crafts and stuff. Um, when we were little, um, I remember our basement, we had a lattice ceiling. We actually still have the lattice ceiling at my parents' house. Um, <clears throat> but it was a, uh, she had, dried flowers hanging from there all the time mm-hmm. and uh she had a big craft table and she would like hot glue all these dried flowers and make wreaths and stuff and you know my dad being a drummer and my sister <clears throat> my sister's never really um done anything like hands-on creatively but i feel like she has a creative mind like mm. she 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 knows what looks good she, she'd be a good like you know kind of associate creative director or something <laughs> she, she she has a she has an eye for what looks good uh-huh. uh and I think that's creative in itself. Um, but yeah, it's just kind of always been around. It's just kind of always been something I gravitated towards. Right. Um, you know, just always kind of felt natural. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I mean, I played sports and stuff. I, you know, I played sports up till I was uh, 15. I played baseball and stuff and yeah. basketball. Um, I always love that stuff and I love sports to this day. It's just, you know, that's just not where my heart is. You right. Know, it's, yeah. it's something to enjoy, but it's just not what I want to do. Right, you know? right, right. 
Yeah. Um, that was, I mean, same for me. I mean, sports and, and those types of hobbies and everything were, you know, fun to a degree. And I think I played sports up until about 14 as well, you know, around that time. And then at some point, like something happens and the hobbies that you like more kind of take over or sort of your, I don't know, to be corny about it, like your true self, you know, it really starts to evolve. And I think if you're going to be someone who's more into art, and this is not certainly always the case, but like definitely around 13, 14, 15, like, you know, the things that you want to take more seriously start to shine through a little bit more, whether that's, you know, something with their studies in school, if someone's going to be like super into history or whether they're more athletic and they take that more seriously or whatever, but that's definitely sort of like a pivotal time. And I think we're very lucky to even know that art at all, or, you know, music in your case too, is something we're passionate about. Cause I know a lot of people who, you know, at our age, you know, you know, late twenties, you know, start still trying to sort of like figure out what their thing is. And so mm-hmm. I, you know, and I was always very appreciative to, you know, know that I had a thing, you know what I mean? Like yeah. to sort of like hang on to. Um, so, well, well, yeah, I mean, we, we have like, you know, ever since we were kids, we're, we're always talking about what we, what we want to be when we grow up. And, you know, like that's, that's always on our minds is, is what's going to happen when we're not kids. And so we're always wanting that desire um, you know, to, to find out what it is. And then, you know, some people just don't find out for a long time. And, um, you know, like you said, you find your true self, you, you start to discover what you really care about. Um, mm-hmm. and some people are fortunate enough to, to find that out a lot sooner than others. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Cool. Um, so as far as starting to get more seriously into art and design and, and kind of taking us into, out of the high school years and all that. Um, you have a unique story when it comes to college and kind of what you decided to do. Um, and I've talked about, you know, my situation before that I just went high school, I was going to take a year off and I didn't end up going to college at all. Um, and if I had, I was going to go to Columbia College here in Chicago and I had even applied and everything. In fact, I remember you take you and I went downtown on the train um, and you showed me around Columbia um, yeah. because you were kind of there for a little bit at the time um what was yeah, your experience i think, I, think I was in i think it was in my third semester when you did that yeah um cool. no i mean it, like um i started going because it felt like the logical next step um i know i wanted to do something creative um uh, but i wasn't sure what that really meant i knew i was good with the computer um and i had started messing you know i've been messing around with photoshop since like photoshop 4 i think Mm-hmm. Um, which is kind of crazy to think about, but, um, yeah, I, I, I started going to Columbia right after high school. Um, and you know, I had my, my first band, uh, and we were, we were kind of serious and we, you know, we we're working on a record and, um, you know, we started recording that record when I was 20 years old. Um, I was still going to Columbia at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, it was good. You know, I, I knew that it wasn't great just because, um, and I'm not like, you know, bragging or humbly bragging here or anything, but, you know, I was teaching my instructors how to do things in Illustrator and Photoshop. Mm -hmm. And that's just kind of a jarring thing. And it's not very inspiring. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not, you know, Columbia is a great school. Like I I loved the environment. I loved the multiple building setup. Um, You know, I I had a great time doing it. Uh, We we went on tour um, in July of 2003 uh, we had just put out a record. We recorded it in April. Uh, went on tour for three months, uh, which is insane. And uh, was gone for three months. Um, came back 
decided to go to school. I can't remember if I took a semester off or if I just went right back, but I went back and I went into my photography, uh, my darkroom class. Um, and I think it was like on a Tuesday at like 10 o'clock and I, I went in and I looked around and everyone getting ready to, to, you know, get ready for class. And I turned around and left and that was it. <laughs> I, I just said the moment I, well, I just said, I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. Like I had, I had been on, been on tour for three months and had a great time and, um, <clears throat> excuse me. And, uh, you know, I, I, I had just gotten a taste of something else and, um, you know, going to school to teach my instructors how to use Photoshop just didn't sound comparable. You know, it, it, um, you know, it, but things kind of spiraled in a weird way. Like, you know, for, for most people, um, I think it would have been like equated to like falling apart. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I stopped going to school, um, my parents said, well, you better start working full time. And I said, okay. Uh, so I started working more full time at Menards. I was still at Menards. Uh, they rehired me after the tour, which was nice of them. They let me go for three months and then I came back and they rehired me. Um, and uh, I just, I lost uh, all my desire to go to work anymore. <laughs> and I, uh, I remember my parents were on vacation. I was still living with my parents at the time. And uh, I didn't wake up to my alarm on purpose pretty much. And, uh, I actually went into work like an hour late hmm. and, um, I don't even know why I went in. I shouldn't have went in. I should have called and, you know, they could have told me I was fired over the phone, but I went in there and they were like, we, I'm sorry. Like they liked me and stuff. So they felt bad. They were just like, we can't, we can't have you do this. And so <laughs> I got fired and I was like, you know, well, you know, w- let me, let me try the design thing out. Um, you know, let me, let me see if I can make some money doing it. And that was when I started doing stuff. And I think mm-hmm. I sent out my first invoice like a month later, two months later. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it, it fortunately paid off and it's still still to this day. I mean, there's been up and down times, but it, it it's still paying off. Um, you know, I haven't taken a risk like that. I feel very fortunate. Mm-hmm. What was that first? I feel like I kind of can remember, but what was the very first... Uh, you know, during that time, you know, there's always a first client or your first check, even if it's a hundred bucks here, a hundred bucks there or whatever. I mean, for me, it was like, you know, doing some flyers for smart bar here in Chicago and then eventually some magazine stuff that was a couple hundred bucks and you know, whatnot. Um, you were doing album covers or was it some magazine stuff? I think, I think the first thing I ever did was, um, an album cover for this band, Claire DeLune on Deep Elm Records. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, and I remember being like, oh, man, Deep Elm. Like, I was so psyched about it. I loved Appleseed Cast and, you know, all those bands. And so <clears throat> I was really psyched about it. And they were like, yeah, man, like, you know, you can do the whole album cover and we'll pay you 200 bucks. And I was like, all right, <laughs> yeah, whole album. Sounds good. Like, but at the time, at you're that, probably at like that 200 time, bucks. At that, yeah, at that time, I was like, holy shit, man. Like, I'll take it, you know? Like, I'll take the 200 bucks, no problem. Yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, now it's like if someone did that, it's just, you know, you got to kind of kind of see see what it's all about before you can commit to something like that. But back then, it was like, oh, yes, yeah. please. Yeah, no um, question. 
and you know what's funny is like my grandma she she passed away last year and uh we all went over to her her house afterwards to like you know go through and and see after her funeral to see if there's anything that you know that we wanted to take with us and stuff she had the poster from that album cover hanging up in her second bedroom oh man see that's <laughs> that's the kind of stuff that like you know when people ask you know I, I don't know you just can't you don't get a chance to really talk about that because there's not like a question someone could ask to get that sort of information out there but it's stuff like that when you have family especially yeah. grandparents or something that like put your stuff out like my grandpa had you know some stuff i've done like sitting out every time i visited you know this same thing sitting there in the same place and it's always just like yeah. man you know like that makes it all worth it right there they're proud of me for that one thing i well, did yeah and, i mean it, you know it's funny like while i'm at home laughing at the work i did like my grandma's all proud of it and yeah you know like hanging on the wall for everybody to see and um, you know, so, so, you know, it was my, it was my first job and it, it didn't pay a whole lot, but it was, you know, in that sense, it was like the most rewarding for sure. Yeah. Um, well, I'm trying to think like the timeline here, but I mean, were you put basically putting, I remember talking to you and when you were, before you had decided to get your site, which is electricheat.org, that's where your main sort of client work all lives. It um, killed me. It killed me to have to get the .org. I still. <laughs> I was going to ask still, you about that. It, it hurts my heart to this day. So let's talk just on a, on a little sidebar here. If you if you accidentally go to electricheat.com, which I know some people have probably typed in, uh, trying to yeah. remember your stuff, it's uh, ceramic circuit infrared uh, uh, radiant heaters company, yeah. um, which makes sense, I suppose. Radiant Electric Heat, and they yeah. own the dot .com. Um, so, you, what was the... I should, uh, ask them, I should ask them how much they... they'd Dude, take. I've tried... ChuckAnderson.com, I've tried and just, I think it's just like... In this. I got lucky with my name, man. Nigel11Dennis.com. I can't imagine anyone else having that. <laughs> yeah, but NigelDennis.com. NigelDennis.com. <laughs> I, I think he makes kayaks. Yeah, he does. <laughs> or or he's like a wildlife photographer. Yeah, dude. He, he's a total... Guy. He's like, yeah, he's a, a kayak guy um uh it's a slow loading site but uh anyways how did this with the uh the name electric heat um did you kind of literal with like an aesthetic name sort of that like sort of evoked uh, the type of work that you were enjoying doing and it just sort of stuck uh it's, not really not really because i didn't really know what i wanted my stuff to look like uh -huh. um you know and you know i think it's important when you're not at an agency to have you know an individual identity as an artist at all times in and changing it up but like you know making sure you have an aesthetic and i know you're you know that um but you know making sure that you know even if you do work in other styles um you know like with you you work in you know when you're working with your hands or you're working in photography or you're working in photoshop you know it's your stuff because you have a continuity between all three um so i didn't really know what i wanted myself to look like at that point um mm -hmm. i was listening to uh this album by The Microphones um, it came out in 2001. It's called The Glow Part Two, mm -hmm. and um, it's got, there's this song. Um, it's called "I Want Wind to Blow," um, and uh, I'm gonna actually pull up the lyrics because I am not gonna be able to recite them from memory anymore. Um, but he he's talking about it, like he, he has a very um, I can't remember his name right off the top of my head. Uh, Philip Philip Evrim or something like that. Um, I could be way off with that. I'm going to be embarrassed if I am. But um, you know, he has this very descriptive way of describing nature and um, you know his surroundings. And you know, he's from uh, the Pacific Northwest. And you just 
you just you can sense that when you're hearing the music and you hear the lyrics and what he's talking about. Um, and he's got this this line. Um, he says, there's no black or white, no change in the light, no night, no golden sun, the sound of cars, the smell of bars, the awful feeling of electric heat. And when he said that, it was like I could I could I could feel what that felt like. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I could like when I when I when he says something about the awful feeling of electric heat, I could I could feel that. I could sense that feeling. Sure. Um and it was like a very visceral feeling. It was like it felt like primitive almost. Uh-huh. Um and it, it didn't feel like electricity. It was like a, a like a, a person to person connection kind of. Like it, that's what it reminded me of. Sure. Um, and it's just, you know, the, the word awful, like awful feeling of electric heat, like it's not a good thing. Um, it just kind of was brooding, um, and, and kind of ominous. And I, I always love that. And, uh, you know, it was one of my favorite albums at the time. Um, and it just, it, I just couldn't get it off my mind. And so I decided to call it that. It's nice when a name strikes you because I know, you know, we don't have to get into it, but like you having been in bands throughout the years or like just anytime you have to name something, whether it's a song or a personal piece of art or you know whatever i mean it, it it's like a separate like art in itself you know coming up with a good name and sometimes you go tongue in tongue in cheek sometimes it's super straightforward you know and some of the times it doesn't really it's not that big of a deal i mean like you know song titles are important but it's not like you have to live with it forever quite the same way that you would with a band name so i feel like picking a name for your quote unquote studio like you have electric heat or i have no pattern or whatever like That's Mm -hmm. a big thing. And I'm really glad that I picked it when I did at the age I was, you know, when I was like 18 or 17. I think I got the domain in high school, like, Mm -hmm. because now I think I would drive myself nuts. And I think at that age, I was just more eager to like, figure out a name I thought was cool. And it just sort of grows with you. And I don't know, I'm I'm just glad (laughs) I'm grateful for that. Because I think it's same with you. I think like you, you kind of just can be defined by this thing that feels like it's sort of always existed. You know what I mean? In in a way, it's kind of nice. It's it's weird. Like, you know, I've named bands and named songs and stuff. And this is like, honestly, one of the only things that like, I've named that I can honestly say I'm proud of. <laughs> um, I mean, band names are the worst. Like no matter no matter what it is, no matter you know what type of band you are, um, you know my my current band, a lull. Um, it's 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 cool and clever, but it is the worst band name to have to uh, tell somebody. You know, someone at a gas station goes, "What what's the name of your band?" And you're like, "A lull," and they're like a lull like it's just it you know it just <laughs> it rolls off the tongue like almost too much yeah like well you know your tongue just stays in the back of your mouth oh. the whole time so it's like oh. <laughs> um but you know it, it, the evaluation was you know i think looking back i love that band i love the album we did but the band name sucked and like you know i am proud of the last um a lull album uh meat mountain i'm i'm proud of that one just so weird it is such a weird album um, album title, but yeah, I mean names names are never easy, um, and they shouldn't be. I mean because they are important, um, and you know, like thankfully we we chose names that we're def- we've been defined by for the last ten years, yeah, um, and haven't had to really second guess it. We've kind of just gotten comfortable with them and 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 stuck with them. If you've never seen the cover of uh, Meat Mountain, by the way, um, if you Google, <laughs> I love how literal it is. It's just a piece of meat, and then there's some sort of sketching I, I, over top of it. I scanned, I scanned a ribeye on my scanner, dude. Did you really? 
with the plastic over it. I love that. See, that's the stuff that people don't appreciate because I feel like there's so much that people think like, oh, Nigel, you know, like if they actually thought about it, there was probably a sense of like found some stock photo of meat. But you took, you bought meat and you put it on your scanner. That's what I did. A big ass piece of wet meat. Yeah, that's well. That's what I did at first because I I was like kind of concepting what what it would look like. Um, and you know, at first it was like we were, we were gonna we were gonna go to the store and buy a bunch of like pre cut like cube like steak <laughs> and, and spell uh, out the <laughs> well. No, we were gonna actually build like a pyramid out of meat. And, uh, like, too literal. <laughs> it would have been insane. Um, and so I was like, you know, what if we what if we just what if it was just meat the yeah. the whole cover. And so I got, I found a, a stock photo. It's it's hard to find a high resolution picture of a slab of meat. Um, and I found it on some like online steak ordering thing. <laughs> and I, I, I was using it and I was like, man, this looks so great. Like I had, I had all this, the sketchy, like the, the cross, the X with the ALMM, like that X thing. Yeah. Um, I had those all like sketched out and like built. Um, and so it was just a matter of getting the right photo. I was like, I can't use this one. First of all, it's not mine. And second of all, it's just not the right, not the right photo. So <laughs> I went to the store and bought the biggest ribeye I could and put it on my scanner and scanned it as high res as I could. And it was actually pretty disgusting to look at <laughs> looking at, looking at a cut of meat. High res is pretty gross. Yeah. Well, it worked out, and I actually Googled it, and one of the ones that I've, when I saw the cover, it comes up a pretty huge, it's like a 1600 by 1600 image of it, so you can see the full, full thing, and uh, it's, it's, um, it's definitely just a nice, nice shot of some meat, so. Yeah, that's honestly, like, as far as, like, doing, um, you know, artwork for, for music, you know, album covers and sort of thing, that's my favorite thing I've ever done. Like I'm, I'm so proud of that. It's so conceptual and so simple. Um, and that's a, that's a, that's a fun thing about designing for your band is that it doesn't have to look like your stuff. Yeah. And you know, because it's weird, it's weird that I, I think that way. Um, but you know, like, uh, my friend Matt Moust, um, in Cold War Kids, he, he has a very strong aesthetic, um, that transfers over into Cold War Kids album covers as to where I do the exact opposite thing. Like I have a, a strong aesthetic with my, my, my client work and personal work. And somehow I find like this other avenue with my band all the time, uh-huh. um, which is kind of cool. It's like a whole nother outlet. Um, but, you know, it doesn't not a lot of people are, are able to do that. So I feel pretty lucky. Yeah. Um, OK, so I want to like fast forward, like, I don't know, we're not way, way up, but like, um you know, sort of the trajectory for you with electric key and doing freelance work and stuff. It was kind of like, you know, one thing happens, the next thing happens, you meet another person, you get hired for another job and, and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. Um, and I want to talk about a story from that you and I experienced together. Um, Dude, I was, I was talking about this when I was out there last week. So you already, oh, of course you're, you're all, just in San Francisco. Week. <laughs> okay. So just to frame this up, um, for, you know, people who are listening, um, Nigel and I, when I was 20, I think, and you, I was 19 or 20. I think, and you were 21, 22, um, we got hired to do, um, all this print, all, like all the print ad, was it print? It was all print ads, I think. Yeah, it was the whole print campaign for like Windows XP. Right. Yeah. It was the print ad, the print ad campaign for Microsoft Windows XP. Now, 
I'm going, to, I feel like I just want to talk about it candidly because it was so long ago. So we won't like <laughs> name names or anything or be specific about some of our more joke jokes on the thing, but just, like, just the, just the precursor. <laughs> everyone we worked with was great. Yeah, they really were. It was, a, it was, it really was. Um, and it, the, this is one of my absolute favorite stories. And it just still resonates to this day, just how sort of much of an impact it left on me at such yeah. an impressionable time in my career. But, um, basically well, it, it oh, was ahead. crazy because we didn't, we, they didn't know we knew each other. No, they hired us independently. Like, Hey, yeah. we need two artists to do this campaign. We like Chuck's work and we like Nigel's work. And we want to bring you guys in to do this print campaign. And it was this huge agency in San Francisco and, um, and Microsoft. And so, um, you know, we started doing all this work from home, um, remotely for this project and it was going, you know, pretty well, but there was a lot of work to be done. And at one point, Nigel and I were invited out to San Francisco to actually just work on it out there. Like we just really needed to start hammering away at this stuff. And, um, long story short, we were out there and, like pretty much right in the middle of working on this stuff, we got called into like a dude, I will never forget this whole sequence, but that was the most heartbreaking moment of my life. <laughs> it really, I mean, it, <laughs> that's, it's up there, dude. I mean, it, yeah, no question. I mean, we basically got called into a conference room and it wasn't for a lack of doing what we've been asked to do as much as it was a realization from this agency that, giving the quantity of work that they had in store to two artists was just not going to cut it. And we were basically told, Hey, we're basically like taking you guys off this job. We're giving it to this other agency, which is actually a friend of ours who, um, got the work and uh, they have a big, pretty big studio and they ended up doing all the work and it made sense in hindsight because they were like, uh, had a lot more manpower to do all this stuff. But well, they were doing, they were doing all the video right, yeah. prior. So yeah. they had a good handle on the aesthetic. And so there's me and you sitting there like without any way to fend for ourselves, really too young at the time. I didn't have any sort of like project manager or agent or anything like that. And you didn't either. And, and yeah. they were like, and we've paid you what we're going to pay you and you're going to fly home now. And that's that. See you later. And there was like, okay. <laughs> and well, we've been working, we've been working to like two or three, a, three AM oh, every day. Busting our asses on that project. I mean, we had been yeah. for like a month, pretty committed to that thing. And it yeah. just got pulled right out. Like the rug just pulled right out from under our feet. And again, this is all like with respect to, to Microsoft and to the agency and to all the people we worked with. It was sheer. It was like, I mean, at least from my understanding, it was strictly a matter of like, this is, there's just no way this is ever going to get done. We need like yeah. more hands on deck and that. Yeah, man. Like, I don't, I don't know. There was, <laughs> but I thought, so anyways, that was basically the story. I don't know what the lesson to be learned from that was because there's really nothing we could have done about it. But that's one of my all time sort of favorite like lessons, I guess, of like, just prepare yourself, you know, like you never know when something's just going to go totally haywire. But one of my favorite things I thought, you know, you would speak to this part of it was what we did with some of our per diem that we had. <laughs> oh. Yeah, we kind of, uh, we, that, that was after, that was, that after was this all after the, the fact. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That was after we were taking off the job and we went to, I actually, dude, I actually went to the same restaurant, um, this past week. Really? I, I was in there and I was like, dude, I've been here before. Was it a sushi like, place? No, it was like, it's, it, it, I can't remember the name of it right now. It wasn't sushi. I, I, I think it was just like pub food. Yeah, probably. Um, but I actually stayed over in Russian Hill, um, which is like right near the wharf there where we were staying. Mm -hmm. um, 
But uh, yeah, so we, we went out to eat and we were just so like exhausted. Like I know I was so tired and, you know, we were, we were working till 3 a.m. and waking up at 8 and going into the office and doing it all over again every single day. And then, you know, we're working, the, you know, it was kind of a, a, a weird feeling because I remember when they pulled us into that conference room and told us, they they, to, they told us we were like off it, but they didn't tell us like that we were done. Like it was like, yeah. it was kind of like, so I think we're going to take another direction. It was like, so. Yeah, it kind of got left hanging, but it was sort of assumed that like, hey, oh, yeah. peace out. Like that's yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, which is which is fine. I'm, I'm sure they were like. I'm sure they felt really bad to do that. Um, but, you know, we, we went to the restaurant and we were so just like, ugh, like, what a bummer. Like, we were just like so in shock. And I think our each of our bills were like 20 bucks. And um, we tipped our waitress or waiter like 50 bucks a piece. I think so. Because it was we had like a per diem. They're like, here's, you know, yeah. you have like 65 bucks a day for 70 bucks a day for your meals or whatever. And you're like, whatever. Yeah. We haven't used any of it today. Other people paid for our meals. Yeah. And so. Yeah, we figured like this is our last time to use our per diem. <laughs> so we use it all in one shot. Yeah. So basically, if there's a lesson for someone to learn from that, uh, I would have to say it would be. Um, if you ever are given a per diem from an agency or company, don't think that you can get away with just like, you know, not have <laughs> like saving it all up for the end and then using like a third of it for the meal and then tipping like 500% because <laughs> their accounting department will spot that in their receipt because I remember yeah, be, like two be, months later be, be waiting be very for very respectful uh, of your per diem. Yeah, basically. I remember like two months later, some accountant emailing and being like, Hey guys, we're not paying. We'll pay a twenty percent tip, but you're not getting reimbursed for like this forty dollar tip. <laughs> that was so crazy. It was a good way to just sort of like, uh, well, let's make someone else happy since we're so miserable right now. But yeah. anyways, that was yeah, that was a fun. But yeah, I mean, that was, I I feel like I tell that story all the time. Like, but it was just so it was so crazy how it happened. Like, yeah. you know, we we were just working and doing our own thing, and it was like, oh, I got this Microsoft job, and then like. I saw like I saw like that you were on the emails and I was like, wait a minute. Like it was like just how is this even possible? Yeah. Like they had no idea we knew each other. No idea. <laughs> and, you know, we so. knew each other, let alone we were like friends in person yeah. and lived very close by. Um, yeah. Okay. I want to, I really want to, um, there's no really rush. I don't know why I'm, I need to rush here or anything. Um, I've always thought if like the conversation's going like really well and, and long, I could always split it up into two parts for an episode, but it's all good because I really want to make sure. So they're going all the way from back then to that hilarious Microsoft thing and all this other stuff in between of, you know, things have built up. And so since then, you know, over the like fast forwarding like nine years here, but so you've done a lot of other awesome client work over the years for I mean, just you want to do a little select client list here? I mean, between Microsoft yeah, I mean, and Target and Yeah, I mean, uh Coca-Cola, Pepsi, um you know, uh, Playboy, Microsoft Playboy, uh you know, Product Red. That I was actually really proud of that one. Um it was really uh sort of a, a kind of an emotional payoff working with them. Um you know, you you're getting you're getting paid um and you know, but there's something um, something very uh, gratifying about working with a company like them. Um, and, you know, Bono Bono runs it. And I don't really care what anyone's opinion of Bono is. He he loves the world and he loves providing and, and doing his best to take care of people. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
you know, I think that uh, that that is just that that's that's half of this job is when you do something that's completely completely gratifying and 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 it, it satisfies satisfies your soul, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, work. I worked with them recently. Um. You know, Sony Records, uh, Warner Brothers. You know, do done a lot of stuff for some hip hop artists. Um, Converse. You know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, I got. I mean, I've got a pretty good, pretty good client list. Um. Yeah, I worked with worked with Playboy, which um is not as glamorous as you might assume. <laughs> uh, do you feel like yeah. talking about that process or that experience at all, or is it just? Like, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, yeah, it's because you've um, worked with them on like a pretty. I mean, you had a, a they're in Chicago, and you kind of had like developed a relationship with them. And Playboy now at this point is not really. I mean, it, it has obviously a reputation, but like they've really tried to turn it into sort of this like men's magazine, a la GQ or Esquire, something that happens to also have nudity in it, where those other yeah. magazines might not. But I mean, well, I think it, I think it's I think it's um, part of part of their problem, and I don't mind talking about it because they'll probably never hire me again, or I'll never work with them again. <laughs> but um, I just I just don't want to work with clients like that anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I never I never like had an ethical problem or a moral problem with it. Um, but it just it didn't it didn't ever feel right. It didn't ever. Um, I didn't. Really, I, I like you know when I work with a client long term, I feel like I have a connection with them and I, I trust them and work with them. And the only person I trusted was the photographer I worked with, and you know he's doing his best to get me paid, but the other people who are involved don't care. And um, you know, so I, the photographer's name is Jared Ryder. He's he's a fantastic photographer. Um, you know, he he he's worked with even you know more than Playboy. Um, you know, he's just he's a great photographer, um, and he's always had my back, and you know he's always hired me but it was it's it started off awesome because we were able to um be creative we were trying to uh remove the stigma that that i think playboy has and what what it is is you know um very plastic surgery uh you know blonde bombshell kind of thing um and the magazine is just not 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 the best designed magazine there is um uh, and so we were, we were, we had the opportunity to do a lot of online content uh, for the website, and that gave us freedom to do whatever. Um, because the the I think it was the creative director or associate creative director of online he he trusted us to do whatever we wanted. So we got super experimental, and um, you know we were we were doing some like movie tributes. We did one for Tron, um, one for Back to the Future, and stuff like that. But it was fun. I mean, it was, we were, we were working with, I mean, obviously you're working with beautiful women, like in illustrating on them and around them. It's, it's, a, it's an exciting thing and it's fun. Um, but you know, it's just, I was kind of, I was kind of thrown into working with them, uh, when they were kind of going through some major changes. Like I think the, the website was going through, it went through two owners in the time I was there. Um, and I wasn't there that long. And, uh, you know, like I think Hugh Hefner had sold the magazine and then bought it back. Uh, I, I could have that wrong. But uh, so, you know, it's just kind of they were kind of a, a mess and they're kind of spiraling. And the Chicago office actually closed, um, I think, last year. Um, they kind of cleaned house and everyone left. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like, you know, there's some some clients are just um, a, a lot. Uh, there, there's something to be said for good management. Um, and the people were great. Like I had no, never had a problem with the people who worked there. It was just, 
the way things were managed was just never never yeah. really great well it's 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 really interesting to hear someone speak about a client with pretty refreshing candor like you know i mean i just a lot of times you know as we just sort of did with the microsoft thing i mean there's a there's a um you know i mean a level of sort of you don't want to go into the details but i do think there's a I don't want to say ugly side because it's not like it was this situation with you're talking about the Playboy stuff was an ugly situation, but I think it's interesting to, you know, no, I learned I, I learn stuff. Yeah, you know, absolutely. I, and I think it's really helpful and really great to hear, you know, getting a, you know, maybe a bad gut feeling about something or, you know, just being in a situation where you just, I don't know. I mean, you obviously like, you know, didn't feel super awesome about the, the situation or the people or just the setup in general. And, well, the, you know, the, the, it, you know it, the people, the people weren't the problem. I mean, you know, I, I went to a lot of shoots and stuff and, you know, everyone was a lot of fun. Everyone was really relaxed. Everyone was really polite. Everyone was really, you know, just, it was, it was a, a good environment for the most part, as far as staff went. Um, it just, it, it felt like things never moved forward. Sure. Um, and I think that that, that's what I mean, managerial wise. I, it wasn't really the people who were in charge. It was just, you know, I think that, I think that people's hands were tied. Um, you know, we're trying to push things forward and try new creative things. And, you know, we were just kind of getting roadblocked. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that there's a lesson in that too. Um, kind of, kind of like placing your ambitions in the right place. Mm -hmm. But it did end up producing some good work, and you did do some really fun oh, yeah. projects I mean, I'm, and collaborations. Totally, totally so, grateful. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think it's some of my stronger work. Um, you know, but it's just one of those. It's it's a very large client, um, and you know, large um, in a social sense. I think, yeah. um, and d definitely one of the the larger clients I've had recently. Mm -hmm. um, but they're, I mean, I don't know what they're doing now. Um, but like I said, the, the people in the, in the, in the creative department were just, were awesome. Yeah. Um, you know, just a, a lot of fun to work with. We all shared a vision. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was, that was the best part of it. That's cool. Um, so really one of the, like, I, I'm really actually glad we're kind of saving this to the end because one of the things I really wanted to talk with you a lot about, um, was the personal projects that, you know, as artists, designers, creative people, um, really even anybody who just has a hobby. I mean, cause these types of projects that we're going to talk about here are in a sense, a hobby because it's just you doing what you love to do kind of on the side without mm -hmm. any specific goal, but you've done quite a few personal projects over the years, aside from music. Um, and you, you know, aside from the client stuff, things that you've done just to do for the hell of doing it because it's fun or because who knows what might happen from doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, more recently in the last, uh, I don't know what the first one you did was, but you've been essentially making these sort of visual guides to certain pop culture things that you are personally a huge fan of. So Game of Thrones, um, you did a curb, did you do a Curb Your Enthusiasm one? No, I started You to, started one. Okay. I started to, I just, I didn't know how in depth it would go. I feel right. like it would just be like a list of it's, like, it's, you know, inside jokes, yeah, like curb inside and, jokes. And it's different too from Game of Thrones, which is such as network of complex, deep characters and families and all this stuff. And then you do, you even did one for, uh, you did one for the Chicago Bears, right? Um, yeah, you kind of did that, the whole one, team. that one. That one was the hardest one I've ever had to do because <laughs> things change so much. Right. Like the roster changes. Right. You know, um, people get dropped, people get added. 
you know, I tried to keep the stats on there and like, I, you know, wasn't using any API stuff. So I was having to manually go in and change stuff. And yeah. And it then, was just, it was a labor of love. I right. Guess. And then more recently, one that you've done and which is going to bring us to um, kind of the most recent thing that you've done. And also kind of just that's going on, I think, in terms of what people are talking about right now is you did this one for True Detective, which in my opinion, it was sort of like the best and all these, all these different sort of guides that you've done have been visually kind of along the same guidelines. It's almost as if you're doing your own series of these things, but each one has different characters and sort of different um, facets to it, if you will. So the True Detective mm-hmm. one that you've been working on, um, that's the most recent one. And it's been getting, first off, congrats on all the, the press and all the Thanks. sort of attention it's got, because I think it's awesome, you know, when people do things that sort of latch on to a really, a really important current um, sort of beloved pop culture thing like true detective really really has been um people are very eager for more to consume when the show's over and so that's why you have like the hordes of people going on to forums and on reddit you know with all the theories they have and all this stuff and you went and basically did your visual expression of unfolding uh the show in a way and sort of and laying out visually the characters you did a map of louisiana and all the different parts of the state and all this stuff um so i guess my question is why why do these pro like why like (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and that's not rhetorical or like asking like I'm a, you know, in a, like a dick sort of way. Like, like, wh- like, what is it? Is it almost like you can't help it? Like you love this and you're just like, oh, I want to do something first because I just, I want to be a part of this conversation. Like, what is it that that drives you to spend? Because you spend a lot of, like a lot of time on these projects. Yeah. I mean, a lot of time and no <laughs> one's asking you to do it. And HBO has picked up on it and, sh- and shared it on Twitter and all that stuff, which is awesome. Um, but like, where does the motivation come from to do a purely a labor of love like that for these for these things? Um, well, I mean, the question why is valid because it's insane that I even like try to do it. I it actually started. I, I was doing a. Uh, I've never really done like character design. I've never really done anything like that. And um, oh, really quickly, I, tell the the URL if people. Are oh, listening. the URL uh, is we keep the other bad men from the door dot com, which is one of the best <laughs> lines ever written, and I also think. one of the best long domain names ever. It is. It is. It's. It's surprisingly um, it doesn't feel that long winded, but. It so definitely, it definitely it, is. But it's we keep we keep the other bad men from the door. dot com dot com. Um, but yeah, I mean, it started. It started. I was doing some character design, and you know, I was really into Game of Thrones. I think it was the uh, it was the beginning of the third season when I launched that one, and. Um, you know, I, I had all the characters kind of like these, these basic, like, uh, it's like digital paper dolls, you know? Uh-huh. Um, so you get these sort of frames, these people built and you add hair and you add clothes and like, you know, just that sort of thing. Uh-huh. Um, and so I, I, I had all these, these kind of skeletons, if you will, like made up from this previous project. And I was really into game of Thrones and there were so many characters and it felt so character driven that like, that would be the good one to try. And, that was I worked on that. I worked on building the characters for that show, which there's like seventy something on the site right now. Oh, by the um, way, so let's just say this ahead of time. If you've not finished 
True Detective and you haven't watched it or gotten into it yet, A, probably, I mean, if you go to the site, you won't be able to figure all this stuff out. There's so much complexity to it, but yeah, we'll, in terms we'll, of, be, we'll be careful. In t- well, I don't even think at this point, I feel like we could talk about it, but I just do want to say if I, I don't want you to feel like you have to hold back. So if people, if anybody is listening, there's a chance for a spoiler. And if you'd rather not hear it, then maybe you know, come back to this part later. I just don't want <laughs> yeah. you to not have to be able to talk about it. Plus the season finale was last night. So, I mean, yeah. I just, you know, I want to be able to talk about it openly and stuff. So there may be yeah. a spoiler at this point on if you haven't finished True Detective yet. So fair yeah. warning. So I did that one. It was fun, um, you know, and it got a lot of press and, you know, I still get still get good hits on it and stuff. And, uh, you know, you touched on the Bears one. I did one for Arrested Development um, and uh, I was going to do one for Curb. I actually had a bunch of characters built for uh eastbound and down <laughs> so basically like um, a like a homage to all hbo shows because they really are it, the best it, it, it's hard yeah i was talking to my parents about the other day they're like hey have you seen this show and i'm like is it on hbo <laughs> they're like no and i was like yeah it's not yeah. worth watching it. yeah. <laughs> it's true right now though i mean well besides some of the netflix stuff and there's a lot yeah. of good shows but so in terms well, of why though in terms of well why, yeah i know? mean i i think i think that you know um the, the thing that the thing that is so incredible about this show and, you know, I usually don't get into, um, you know, I, I've gotten into shows. I really liked them. Like, I really like Game of Thrones. I loved Lost when it was on. Um, and, you know, I, I love digging into the mythology of Lost. Um, but there's something about this show that just is so visceral and so raw and so... Um, uh, it, it's it, it feels familiar. It's weird. It, it feels like... Uh, the characters in the show are people that I've met or that I, you know, could run into very easily. Um, and there was some, I think that as creative people, you know, and I'm sure you can attest to this is that we, we, we get on like little kicks and we get obsessive with certain things. And um, I think that that's a natural create like characteristic of somebody who's creative is they, um, you know, they, they, can obsess about things or, and it's literally, I mean, that's what it is. I'm not ashamed to admit that it was, you know, an obsession I had with it. And I would, you know, would like think about the, the dialogue and the lines they would say, and really like analyze them and think about them, you know, like uh, rust talking about um, how we, it's a tragic misstep in human evolution and we became too aware. And um, we, 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 you know, we created a self, and, you know, like just like his big existential um, sort of commentary uh, just was really fascinating to me. The fact that someone like wrote that character, created that character. Right. It's not it's not a person. It's 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 an idea that somebody wrote and another person is facilitating that. And it's um, I think that's why, you know, it, it really um, it just resonated with me, like from the first episode. And I know the first episode is pretty slow. But I knew, like, after I saw that episode, I was like, this is going to be the best show I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, so I think that's why. And, you know, I really, I, I like sharing stuff like that. I like um, sharing, like, my love for things mm-hmm. with people and, and hoping that maybe it'll catch on. And fortunately for this, it did. Um, you know, I got a lot of press for it. Um, HBO shouted out last night. And, you know, when I launched it, the first person who emailed me was Carrie, the director. Hmm. Um, he was the very first person who emailed me and, um, I, I sent him some prints. The guy who plays, um, Reggie Ledoux, uh, I think his name is Charlie Halford. He, he messaged me on Twitter and, um, uh, Brad Carter who plays, um, Charlie Lang. 
Um, he he messaged me, and the guy who plays Ginger just bought a print the other day. And so, like, you know, it, it's 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 been crazy to see this like direct response from people who are involved in a show that I really think is like a true piece of art. Yeah. Um, and that's I think that's why I love it so much. It it, it is artistry from from the writing to the acting to the cinematography to that single six minute single shot at the end of episode four. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that's not done in television no, and no. it's been even done in film. And if it is, it's no. usually not done that well. I mean, you know, I mean, that's like a direct pull from the, you know, Goodfellas like original, you know, that like really long single take that was in that. I mean, like that was, you know, I think one of the more famous ones that they just yeah. single long take in really narrow passageways and stuff that they did. And, yeah. Um, well, that, know, that, that, that just, camera guy, it's that hard camera, to do. that camera guy, uh, his name is Christopher McGuire. Big shout out to him. He, uh, he was the steady cam operator on that. He actually bought a print. I made a custom one for him. He, he wanted one of, of him and ginger and rust. <laughs> and so I made one for him and, uh, you know, he, he said that that was all one take. And I, I remember, um, you know, when I was watching it, trying to kind of pick out where the edit points were, mm. Um, and kind of, you know, like if they go behind a building or if, you know, there's a shot where they kind of aim up at the helicopter for a second. I was like, I wonder if that's the point where they kind of splice footage. Right. And he said, absolutely not. He said, it's all one take. He said they they filmed it um, seven times. They ran through it seven times. Um, and he said that they they just they 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 wrote in edit points. You know, they wrote in points where. Uh, in case it didn't work, they could edit. But he said that's that's live footage you're seeing. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 absolutely amazing. And I, you know, I think that it's a testament to um, having. And I think that's another reason why I I made the site and I gravitate towards it is it's uh you know a bunch of true artists coming together to make this series. It's yeah. not it's not a bunch of you know TV writers and TV directors. It's some people who are really passionate about what they're doing. I mean. Even Matthew McConaughey, I'm not the biggest Matthew McConaughey ha- fan, but I think he it's some of the best acting I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, it's fantastic. Of, it really of any 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 TV show, any movie, I, it's some of the most compelling acting I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sounds, you know, it sounds a little bit maybe contrived to say this, but um, but I, I mean, I mean it. You know, I think a lot of times, you know, you watch. Um, a TV show or a movie or something like that. And it's easy to just think of it as a film or a TV show. And even if it's really good, um, for the most part though, you know, that type of thing is often not looked at on a mainstream or general level, the same way that like a, a piece of art is like a painting, like a great painting or something like that. Mm -hmm. And like I said, I mean, I know this can sound contrived or, you know, whatever, but I, I think it's true. I mean, I think what they really did with True Detective or with any, 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 you know, movie that someone would consider to be a truly great, you know, classic movie or, you know, whatever is just a different medium. And it really is art. I mean, it really is a group. Like you said, it's this huge collaborative effort to make this thing possible from the opening titles, which are some of the most gorgeous opening titles I've ever seen for a TV show in True Detective. Yeah. Um, I can't well, remember. And the, the, the original score that, that T-Bone Burnett did is I hope I hope that HBO releases the original score. It is some of the creepiest, haunting, like most haunting mo- or like music I've ever heard in uh-huh. anything. Yeah. Um, which is which is not normal for him because I mean he's you know, he did like uh the score for like walk the line and he's a very big like you know southern country kind of guy yeah and by the way if you're wondering who did the opening titles for um 
for True Detective, it's uh, Elastic, and their site is elastic.tv. Um, and so if you want to see more of their work and stuff, I think you can go on there and see uh, some of the work that they did um, for that. Or at least that's what uh, it seems like. I think they did the Game of Thrones opener too, which is also amazing in its own totally different way. But um, Yeah, that's some great so, 3D work. Yeah, geez. Um, so, but, uh, so, but basically with the project that you do, I think, I think you know, if there's one takeaway from it, um, I know there's several takeaways from it, but if there's anything someone would hear that story of, and if you go look at the website that Nigel created for that and see kind of the in-depth nature, and especially is helpful if you're already familiar with the show, um, to go look at it and sort of like use it as this visual guide to sort of kind of understand, you know, and put, you know, names to the um, characters and everything. Cause it can be hard to remember who's who. I mean, you got all these people and it's, there's eight episodes in that show and game of Thrones even more so, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, it's, you know, it, it, it connects you the, you know, the fan, uh, to the actual thing and has given you a direct line to the people who are responsible for making it. And so back to the analogy of the show truly being art, it's really not that different from, a tribute of any kind that someone would make, like you know, what maybe doing a band doing a cover song or something, and then the band hears about it and they really like it, and they hit you up to say they liked it, or they even yeah. I know I've heard stories of bands basically doing the version of their own song, but in the way that it was covered by somebody else, and then the actual you know original band doing it that way and stuff. And it, it is something about sort of like, hey, I love what you've done. I wanted to sort of pitch in in my own way, and then to get the feedback that you have from the public and then also people who are actually a part of the show, both from a creation standpoint and an acting standpoint, I think just speaks volumes to, you know, your dedication to just sort of like sharing something that you, you know, the way that you love something and putting it out there. Um, you know, people see that and really enjoy that and feed off of it. And I mean, who knows what will come from it in terms of what you gain? I know you've done a lot of, you know, actually, so Nigel's got prints available um, of the art from there. So if you go to the site, you'll see, and you've been selling a lot of them and it's gotten great press and everything. So mm-hmm. there's certainly a monetary gain in it and, uh, you know, um, you know, getting your name out there more and getting people to get their eyes on the rest of your work and everything. So who knows what else might come of having done that. Um, which is totally gravy from the situation, you know, from doing something like this. But at the end of the day, sort of probably the most visceral reaction for you is just like getting people, people's eyes on it and being like, oh my God, this is awesome. And seeing all the people on Twitter or wherever, like sharing it with their friends and everything. And, and like, I mean, really, isn't that what it's all about? You know, I mean, when you're an artist and stuff, doing stuff that you see people truly caring about, um, yeah. you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that you know, I, if I wasn't selling prints, I would still be super excited because the response has been crazy. You know what I mean? And that, like you said, that's like, it's more rewarding than any sort of monetary satisfaction, you know, uh-huh. um, is just, is the fact that like, you know, um, like the dude who plays Reggie Ledoux, like used my name on Twitter. Like that, that's, that's exciting. You yeah, know, and totally. It, it's it's awesome to see a direct response like that and it, they're really appreciative and it it um it's a very uh humbling thing um and it and it it also kind of puts a, a, a face on on people you think um are kind of uh otherworldly i guess mm-hmm. like um you know we we see like actors on tv and they they you know we know they're people but they somehow they they feel different they feel almost like superhuman and yeah, then, totally 
you know, when things like when I get like a direct email that just says like that's just like signed to Carrie and I know it's like the director of the show, like that's crazy, you yeah. know, and that, that's that's refreshing. Right. Um, and I think it's, you know, a real testament to um, why the show is so successful from a creative standpoint mm-hmm. is because you got people who like are it's a like it's a labor of love and it's 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 something that they believe in. Right. Um, regardless of any sort of money or any sort of network, it's something that they all pull together and made something and it's it's i mean it's for lack of a better word i mean it's perfect you know mm-hmm. and it's 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 actually it's just it's perfect yeah um and you mean by perfect like the like the situation like like to do something like that i mean there's well no i mean i'm saying the the output i mean what they did is just oh, i think oh, it's yeah, just yeah, yeah. it's just it's just perfection I, okay. I i think that you know um it, i think it takes a lot of humility mm-hmm. um i guess is my point even from sure. the actors, even from the actor's standpoint, I know people probably think Matthew McConaughey is a little bonkers and stuff, but you know he's got to have a level of humility to to work um, in such an amazing way with everyone, um, right, right. and I think that that's the whole the whole cast of everything. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just it's a it's a it's an awesome thing, and I it, it, I I post things on the site because it's the stuff that I think about and that interests me, um, and. You know, when I'm when I'm like I'm working on a timeline right now for everything um, and I'm, I want to work on like a family tree kind of thing and I'm I'm doing it like it's it's awesome to um, post it and see people's responses and stuff. But I'm doing it for me, mm-hmm. you know, like I'm I'm yeah. doing it because I like obsess about it and I, I think about it. And I, I want to like, you know, go in depth like my um, uh, friend Colin. um Colin Stramberg, you you know him, I think you know, so. Yeah, yeah, he he works at Nike now. Um, big shout out to Colin. Um, but anyway, he he texted me today, and he's like a big big True Detective fan. He texted me today. And he said, "Do you think Audrey was involved?" And like, <laughs> he's like asking you, like, the, yeah, the fact that well, no, just the fact that like that's even a question after uh, the show's oh, over. Oh yeah, yeah, like I, I said, I said so, no <laughs> because it's a show and they only showed us what we needed to know. Right. Yeah. So like the, but that's what it's done. It's like created this mythology and it's mm-hmm. created like this, this vastness um, that makes you like wonder, you know, w- what really happened, even though it was all fiction, you know, and it's just. That's a really special thing, and I think yeah. that's why people are so in, engaged um, when they watch it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's a it's a incredible show. Um, I, we didn't talk about too much, really. The finale was we both really loved the finale. I, at this point, you know, I feel like we probably got far enough into it. We don't have to um, worry about spoilers or anything. But the show it was, was all just, it was all aliens. <laughs> aliens come. It never happened. Um, there's a bunch they of brought we, back a bunch of dinosaurs. One of my favorite things, Nigel and I, the other day, just went back and forth texting about all the. I, I thought there might be a bunch of good cameos, like uh, you know, the the Yellow King is like Joseph Gordon-Levitt last minute, <laughs> and then like uh, Amy Poehler shows up, and it's just this big, stupid Judd Apatow movie type <laughs> thing at the end. That would have been a nice way to finish it. Um, but uh, anyway, so you got that project. Um, so you've got all sorts of domains people could check out, but electrocheat.org. Nigel11dennis.com is where a lot of your personal work is at. Um, the we keep the other bad men from the door.com is the true detective one. Um, but I'll link all these up on 
the Life and Limb site so you can go there and visit the different the various projects Nigel's, Nigel's done, including his music and and everything like that. Um, so yeah, man, um, it's been really super awesome to talk. I know I've been like when I started this, I'm like, well, okay, I have my handful of no brainers, but I can't do like all my personal friends like right in the beginning. So I got like Ben and then Nigel and like space these things out. And I knew like this is already going to be the longest or the second longest after Ben's, I don't know, right up there. And it, <laughs> it makes sense because it's just, it's fun to, talk, you know, talk these stories and share this stuff and kind of, you know, rehash all these good old memories and everything. But also it's always fun because I get to learn new things from people I've known for a long time. And so it's yeah. always cool to hear about your process and the work that you're doing with this stuff is super cool. And I think it's an inspiration because I just think, you know, if I was younger or, you know, I mean, you're not, you're not 17 years old. I mean, you're like doing this stuff as quote unquote fan art, but on a far more developed and, you know, sort of, um, complex level. And it's, you know, you know, bringing back these awesome returns in ways that you never really imagined and who Mm -hmm. knows where it'll go next. But I just think it's such a cool thing to do stuff just simply because you're doing it for you and you love it. And that's just like the theme of this whole thing for me is just doing stuff because you love it and I hope you keep doing it with more shows and <laughs> I get to be like texting you like man what are you doing like how <laughs> but yeah yeah well um, yeah man thanks thanks for having me yeah I feel like um just you know for all the listeners the conversations the conversation we're having right now isn't too much different than when me and Chuck are sitting down having a beer yeah so that's that's kind of that's a nice thing maybe a few uh a few it's a little more cleaned up uh, it's, a little, it's a little more polished. All the episodes have like so far like very pretty clean language. I think it's because I don't swear that much, or I just try to refrain from it, like uh, just so it doesn't become like a thing at all. And I don't really swear that much, anyways. But I feel like as the host, if I don't really, the person who I'm interviewing kind of doesn't really that much either. And so we can yeah. just sort of like focus on the conversation. But <laughs> every now and then, I think that makes like a well-timed, you know, some you know swearing like out of nowhere is a lot more impactful or something. If you ever listen to like the Mark Marin podcast, it's just like fuck, fuck like every other word <laughs> so you know it's it's uh, a little more sparse and and whatnot we can kind of focus on the uh, the important stuff and someday i'll release the uh, b-side interviews of little two-minute clips of before we actually started the interview when we're talking about all sorts of disgusting stuff <laughs> all sorts of sick stuff <laughs> um anyways man is there anything like uh else you want to plug or say your twitter name or any other urls or anything else at all uh, to kind of end my, with here my twitter is uh nigel Levin dennis all one word um yeah and, uh my band uh there, i talked about them a little bit my band's website is www.alull.com alull.com um we just released a new single gonna be working on a new record um yeah, man. Um, I'm just, um, this is the, this is the craziest, um, and it's kind of crazy to say it. This is the craziest I've ever, you know, most busy, busiest I've ever been, um, in my, in my career. Um, and it's, it's, it's from this, this true detective site, which mm-hmm. is crazy. Um, you know, so I, yeah, like you said, I think that there's something, there's something really important to be said about, um, doing passion projects. Yeah. And no question. You know, and it's like, you know, we go back to the whole music thing. Music's been kind of a big theme. Um, I don't believe you should ever make music for anyone else but yourself. Um, And so, you know, if you do, you end up compromising right out the gate. So, um, you know, it's it's the same thing. I think that it's healthy if you're a professional designer or professional artist 
um, who, you know, works in agencies and that sort of thing. I think it's important to, um, it's important to kind of take a step back and just do something for the hell of it and not not really be concerned about, uh, you know, how it'll be perceived or whatever, just kind of experiment. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, cool, man. Uh, this is a perfect note to leave it on. So, uh, yeah, we'll just leave it at that. Check out Nigel's stuff, and uh, yeah, dude, enjoy your uh, cold Thai food. I hope it's. Uh, <laughs> I hope it's still all right. <laughs> Thai, sure. Thai food actually, I think it's better when it's that a little bit. Sort of like the sauce is like sinks into the noodles. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I'm I'm sure it'll be good. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> All right, man. And enjoy your Lone Star as well. Yeah, man. All Nothing right. snooty. All, All right. right. All right, dude. Take All care. Right. Thanks. All right. Bye. Bye.